This is a Federal News Network podcast. The State Department is accepting applications for a second wave of paid internships. They'll clock in next spring. The department is paying interns to boost diversity of its workforce and to encourage people from underrepresented groups to pursue State Department careers. It picked 200 students from 2,000 applicants for the first cohort last year. It'll pay all student interns starting next year. For an update, Federal News Network's Jory Heckman spoke with the department's talent acquisition senior advisor, Jennifer Danover. This is actually a very exciting time at the State Department when it comes to our internships transitioning from an unpaid program to a paid program. And the whole goal of the transition to paid is to target and remove the barriers for those students who were not able to to participate in the unpaid programs due to those you know, financial barriers of not being able to accept an unpaid position. So our expectation and our hope is that by transitioning and providing paid internships with the department, we'll be able to remove barriers for students who couldn't participate in our internships programs previously and really open wide the talented pool of applicants that we expect and that we did see during the first round of applicants, Uh, people probably from locations and from schools that in the past were not able to participate. So we do expect this to become a much wider opportunity for all of the university students out there interested in the State Department as a career. Great. Well, let's turn our attention to the second wave of paid internships. What program offices are accepting interns and how ultimately do interns get placed within the department? I think a lot of the information out there about the State Department is really focused on the Foreign Service side of things. And that is part of this program, but it's not the whole story. And so it's very important to note that all of our offices within the State Department participate, if they can, in the paid internship program. It is not solely focused on our foreign service side of things. So, for example, the State Department has, of course, the foreign service side of our offices, that's the embassies and consulates overseas, as well as the offices within the State Department here domestically that focus on, you know, regional foreign affairs. But we also have a lot of offices that just focus on the other side of our business. We call them the functional offices. These are offices such as human rights offices, the different offices that focus on issues that are important to the State Department, but that are not necessarily focused on a specific region or overseas location. So it's really important to let everyone know that these internship positions are available throughout the department. You don't have to go overseas. You're eligible to go overseas, but you don't have to, and you don't have to have a specific region or country in mind if you are just interested in the State Department as a whole. Now, to the second part of your question, these are going to be directed assignments. So when somebody applies and is accepted to become a paid intern within the State Department, we have a team within my office that will collect all of the applicants, look at their qualifications, look at their areas of interest, and look at their studies to find the best fit for them. So for example, if you apply to the State Department paid internship program and you're an IT major, but perhaps you also have a focus on a specific region in the world, we would try to match you up with an internship that would allow you to work 
in the IT field, but perhaps work in our European division or our Western Hemisphere office. So we do look at your areas of interest, but also at your skill set, and then we place you in a position um, for that internship. Who's eligible to apply for these internships and how long do they have until the deadline? The criteria are that they have to be U.S. citizens because we do ask that they get a security clearance. So they have to be U.S. citizens and eligible to receive a security clearance from the State Department. They also have to be in an undergraduate or graduate program. For undergraduate, they have to be at least have had 60 credit hours. So we're looking mostly for juniors and seniors. The key to that is they all have to be returning students. Since this is an internship program, the idea is that they will have studies to continue to go back to after their internship. They cannot have already graduated from their program. If you are an undergraduate student who has graduated but are intending to go right into a graduate program, you are eligible. So the criteria are pretty open. We want to try to make this as accessible as possible to all students. So those are really the only requirements to apply. Something I wanted to unpack a little bit more is certainly getting your foot in the door at the State Department. Internships seem to be the best way for the agency to recruit talent. Yes, actually, we do really view this as a recruitment tool. The State Department for many students can be a bit of a mystery. What do we actually do? How do you how do you get a career within the State Department? What career options do you have? And that is really the intent of this program is to let these students come in and see what the State Department does, see that we do things both within the Washington, D.C. area, as well as other domestic locations throughout the United States, and of course, then at the embassies and consulates. I think a lot of students are intimidated by the breadth of opportunities that we have. So the idea of the internship is to kind of take a peek behind the curtain, see what diplomacy is all about, see what foreign relations is all about. And that way they can have a better understanding of what we do and understand if they are interested, what their career opportunities are. So we very much view our internships as a way for students to learn about the State Department and to understand if they choose to join us, what their options are as a career. Okay. And since this is a paid internship, can you tell me what level of pay interns can expect from the internship and any kind of housing accommodations they can expect as part of interning with the State Department? Absolutely. So our paid interns will actually become temporary State Department employees. We will hire them at the GS4 Step 1 level with D.C. locality pay. So right now on the current scale, that's $17.51 an hour. That, of course, will be adjusted as our pay scales are adjusted year to year. In addition, though, we recognize that, especially in the D.C. metro area, how expensive housing is. So an additional benefit we're offering to our interns is we will pay for their transportation to and from their location to D.C., or if they are going overseas to and from their overseas location, you know, back to their, their home, as well as for the students coming to D.C., we'll pay for their housing accommodations here throughout the entirety of their internship, 
and for students going overseas, the embassy or consulate that they are working at will provide housing free of charge. So those two added benefits, in addition to their paid salary, make up quite a nice package. It makes it a very, uh, hopefully a very affordable way to do an internship with the department and to learn if this is the right career choice for them. Jennifer Danover, Talent Acquisition Senior Advisor at the State Department, speaking with Federal News Network's Jory Heckman. Check out Jory's story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Hello, I'm WIPA CEO Shane Canfield, and thank you for joining us on another episode of Lessons in Leadership. I'm honored to be joined by Angie Bailey, founder and CEO of Ananda Life. Angie has a remarkable career in public service, beginning as a GS2 clerk typist with the Social Security Administration, And over the next 40 years, Angie steadily worked her way up through the government, ultimately becoming the Chief Human Capital Officer at the Department of Homeland Security. She's been recognized with presidential rank awards by two administrations for leadership, innovation, dedication, and commitment to the country. Angie, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Shane. What a pleasure to be here. Angie, you've made quite a name for yourself as a leader in the federal workforce. Who was the first person you remember looking up to it? as a leader, and what about them inspired you? You I often think about this because, you know, sometimes we think of the people that we look up to the most as being somebody that throughout our career has, you know, been at the highest levels and all. But, you know, I've got to go back to honestly, whenever I was 10 years old, and uh, I remember I really wanted to play Little League baseball on a boys team. I was the only girl. And interestingly, it was the women who would keep saying to me that, no, I couldn't play. And then one day, whenever I was there to sign up yet again, uh, there was this guy, his name was Delbert Beiser. And uh, I remember he had like red hair and he had wadded tobacco in his mouth and greasy overhauls and everything. And he said, you know, I'll take her, I'll take her on my team. And, you know, just looking back on that, there's so many leadership lessons and things that I just really admire about him. And actually I thought about throughout my entire career, he took a chance on somebody he didn't know. He um, put aside whatever conscious or unconscious biases that he might have had about having a girl on a team. He treated me the same, Uh, whether, you know, if I wasn't performing, I got benched just like the boys. I got no special treatment and, and, and he was just really honest with me and he just included me in everything. And so looking back on it, you know, really it was Delbert Beiser, our local mechanic in our little small village that was I think my inspiration for going on to, I hope, become the leader, um, you know, that that I wanted to be. I'd say half of the guests on this podcast have had similar stories where they reach back to either childhood or young adulthood. And And I think as leaders, it's really incumbent upon us to keep that in mind, that that what we say and do. especially in the younger ages, really can have a lifelong impact. How would you describe your leadership style and how has that developed over time? I would say that the one word that describes my leadership style is that I care. Um, I guess that's more than one word, but I care. Uh, I've always cared about the mission. I've always cared about the people. I've always cared, you know, about making sure that that they had what they needed or that they were developing the way, uh, you know, that they aspired to develop. And I tried to take this approach of not treating people the way I wanted to be treated, but instead treat people the way they wanted, they want to be treated. And I think that that really kind of developed over my career. You know, I started out just like most leaders do where it's very results driven. It's all about the bottom line. You need to make sure that 
you get everything accomplished because, you know, that's what everybody's looking for, the goals, the metrics, et cetera. But I think as you mature and you go along, you start to, to your point, you draw back on those early childhood days or early adult young, you know, whenever you're a young adult and you say, you know, I think that there's a little bit more to this than just the bottom line. And so over time, I really began to, I, I think, see a much bigger picture and the entire ecosystem, if you will, and how the people themselves fit into all of this. And that ultimately, at the end of the day, it was all about the people. And so, I, you know, I think my, my maturity allowed me to then shift and focus more on the people than, than so much on results and bottom line. You've been recognized with two presidential rank awards two different administrations. You founded your own company. Tell us a little bit more about your background from the beginning and and how did that lead you to where you are today? Well, you know, it's kind of interesting, like you said, that I started out as a GS2, a Social Security Administration. I mean, what I really wanted to be was a criminal prosecuting attorney. That was absolutely my dream. I sometimes joke and say what I really wanted to be was a mafia don, but that wasn't going to work out. So, you know, had to be a criminal prosecuting attorney. But, you know, I had to get a job to pay for college. I, you know, it wasn't in the cards that I was going to be able to go to college without a job. So I applied at the Social Security Administration, or I'm sorry, at the unemployment office. And lo and behold, I got a job at Social Security. I didn't even know it was federal, to be honest. Uh, From there, I went to the Department of Defense and I found this, this career field called labor and employee relations. And honestly, it was as close as I was going to get to being a criminal prosecuting attorney. I didn't go on to be a a criminal prosecuting attorney, but I went on courtesy of Department of Defense to get both my bachelor's and my master's in leadership because the whole study of leadership, I just find incredibly fascinating, Um, you know, from historical to current, uh, current times. I just, it's just something that's just really fascinated me. And so I just, I would say I'm a lifelong learner of leadership. And then I would say some of the other things that got me maybe where I am today is I never really said no to anything. If people asked me to take on a new challenge, even if I wasn't sure I was going to be successful at it, I would say, you know what, not sure this is going to work out, but more than happy to give it a try. And it always worked out. But I think giving things a try and just not saying no to opportunities is what really led from one position to the next. I feel like I was always rewarded for just stepping in or stepping up and taking on the challenges that sometimes no one else wanted to do. Angie, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you, Shane. It's such a pleasure. I I really appreciate you giving me this opportunity. Thank you. This has been the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm CEO of WEPA, Shane Canfield. Looking forward to talking to you next time. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.